you would please turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. This book has been very much about faith. It's been hold fast in persevering faith, despite your temptations to, to apostatize. It has been, look at the faithfulness of Jesus. Look at the obedience. Look at the persistence of Jesus as an example for you to follow. And now, when we've gotten to chapter 11, all right, we are going to stop and instead of focusing on the faith of Jesus, we're going to be focusing on the faith of a number of Old Testament saints and trying to define faith and give us examples of faith. Because the whole point of this is to encourage a group of people, a group of Christians, to persevere, to not to not give in to persecutions, to not give in to issues, and leave the faith. So Hebrews chapter 11 Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So as a preview of what we'll see, you've got, starting in verse 4, you've got a discussion of Abel, and then Cain and Abel, of course. And then you've got, for example, Enoch, and so forth. And you've got Noah. Then you ultimately get to Abraham, and there's a longer section on Abraham. And then after Abraham, you've got Moses. And a discussion of the Exodus. And then at the end, starting in verse 32, you've got a, okay, we're not going to go into the stories. We're just going to talk about some principles and just more general character or more general categories of folks. All right. And then in verse 39, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Specifically that point, and all these, though commended through their faith. Note that language. Going back to verse 2, for by it the people of old received their commendation. And so it is for the author of Hebrews, all right, commendation comes because of faith. It is because of someone has faith. But now, he's going to give us lots of examples. And so, what you're going to help me do today is you're going to help me figure out what faith is based on all of this discussion. Okay? A lot of it is fairly clear. It actually starts off on a part that's not particularly clear. Uh, if you would look at your translations, please. Now, faith is the something of things hoped for and the something of things not seen. What do we have for those words? Anybody? It is the substance, all right? Okay. Now, is this for the first? Let's talk about just the... What translation are you using, Jonathan? ESV. Okay. So, it's the substance. Is that what you have? Yeah. And what's the next part? I don't know, I just lost the verse. There we go. It's the first one. Conviction. Alright, so it is the substance and the conviction, which is interesting. Does anybody else have the ESV and have a different word? Mm -hmm. Assurance. Okay, 
So what that means is the, what is this, actually, what does that mean? Right, it's not a misprinting, it's a revision. So the ESV has either assurance or substance, and for the second one, I have conviction and you have conviction. So they did not revise that one. What else do we have? NIV. NIV has what? Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Sure of. Is that the first one? No. All right, what's the second one? And certain of what? Okay. What else we got? We need King James because they have something different. Yeah. I got the new King James. Uh, evidence is the first one. Excuse me. Substance is the first one. Yes. Evidence. I believe uh, the old King James has the same. Is that right? Okay. Anybody else have a translation? The, the problem is the author of Hebrews goes now to define something of um, what faith is in terms of a definition. But unfortunately, it's not his fault, it's our fault. Um, there's actually a lot of debate on what these words he's using even mean. The two general ways of looking at this would be one of two things. Is he talking about something which is um, concrete? And by concrete, I mean it is the substance and evidence. Or is he talking about something um, that's emotional, mental, sure of, assurance, conviction, certain of. And generally speaking, most translations will uh, go with one approach. The ESV in this, I don't know if they revised it towards what I have or what you have, but they mixed it where, where they have a concrete versus emotional or just pure emotional, pure emotional here or here. Now, the good thing about all of this is after this point, the author is going to give us a whole lot of examples. All right? It's going to give us a whole lot of examples and maybe that will help us make this decision because ultimately, all words or defined by context in whatever language you're dealing with. Alright, so whatever it is exactly, we'll perhaps re return to this if we have time. This faith, which we will now define, alright, it is by that thing that the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are invisible. What does this tell us about faith? So faith enables understanding. And what's what I think is very interesting about that is this is the exact opposite of what those outside the church would say. That faith is a way of avoiding understanding. The faith is a way of avoiding knowledge. What we say is the opposite. There is no true knowledge of true things without faith. In reality, and you'll see this, I think, in a number of different places, 
Faith allows us to see things that as they really are, not how somebody without faith can just by their senses perceive. Faith allows us to see things that can't be seen otherwise. All right? What comes first, knowledge or faith? We would have to say, well, knowledge of worldly things comes first in a sense. But when it comes to, the, it comes to Christianity and Christian truth, faith must be had before knowledge can be had. Faith is an essential precondition. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. You, it, it's, it's difficult to get to that through pure science. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Hmm. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. All right, what does Cain and Abel tell us about faith? It seems like God told Abel something more than he probably knows, because mm-hmm. he believed it and Cain didn't believe it. And so his sacrifice was acceptable because he believed. We will certainly see the obedience thing over and over throughout this. I think this is an important point, right? That is, it is the faith as a part of an act, all right? That makes it something that God finds most commendable. Yeah. Back to the first one when we were talking about whether it's knowledge or faith. Mm-hmm. I think I have kind of an example because I think it's been mixed up. And Please I had, share. I had, the, I had the experience of working with a whole lot of engineers. Mm-hmm. And, um, for instance, an engineer sometimes understands this that he's working on. But the input that comes into the part of the process that he's working on, the input just comes out of what to him is a black box and he doesn't understand it. He just has to believe that the input is what it is. In this one that he's really working on, he understands it. Mm-hmm. He can actually explain it. I'm, I don't. If you can't explain something, I think I doubt you understand it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't understand that, but he knows that it works. And so, does he have faith in it, or is it that knowledge? No, he believes it works, yeah. and he can explain this when he understands it, and then the output. He's got assumptions around the inputs, for sure, yeah. And a, a faith of sorts, yeah. right? Not a, not a, like, the way we would define faith, right, is going to be very different than just an assumption, right? Um, but certainly differently the way this, this chapter will, will define it, right? So yeah, the engineer would totally assume, as, as I'm programming, I'm assuming the web servers that my website is going to run on will continue to run as they have in the past. Uh, it's an assumption, and it's usually right. Yeah. 
sympathize with Kane a little bit because I'm not sure he, he really knew what he was doing. He thought he was making an acceptable sacrifice of a percentage of his crop, but it came from the ground that God cursed. Therefore, his sacrifice is not, not acceptable. Mm-hmm. How much of an excuse is ignorance? It does make us sympathize. I'm, I'm with you on that. Well, we just, we don't have the full story. Right? We, all we have is a, a small piece of the story. We just have the, the facts. And the author of Hebrews here, and you'll see this in a lot of these stories, I think, he is... He's pulling on something else than what's in the stories themselves. Most of these stories, if you look in them, are not a direct commentary on faith. You won't see the word faith in a lot of these, for example. But yeah, I, I could totally get the sympathy, right? But for whatever reason, all right, God did not, did not accept his sacrifice. And according to the author of Hebrews, it seems to be here... It's not the nature of the sacrifice, per se, according to the author of Hebrews here. It's that he had faith, that Abel had faith. Right? That's, that's the way I read it. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. So I read this as it's the most important thing about it is actually the faith of Abel, not necessarily the medium that Cain gave, right? At least that's how he's reading it. It's probably not the only thing there, but at least for the author of Hebrews, I think that's the focus. There's definitely a sin problem in, in Cain. Mm-hmm. God says, why are you so angry? If you do well, won't you be accepted? Yeah. The reason you're angry is because you're not doing well, you're sinning. And then he goes into that sin is waiting for you. It's crouching. It wants to have you. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to warn him and then he goes along with what was in his heart already. Right. The fact that he murdered is evidence that Cain is in a bad place from a spiritual perspective. All right? Because he's about to murder when all of this is happening, right? He is about to murder. He doesn't know it. Perhaps he just. Not perhaps. He doesn't know it until his sacrifice is rejected and then his heart turns bitter. All right? And then he goes and, and murders Abel. So clearly Cain, as you were just saying, his heart is wrong, right? And that much is at least is very clear from the original narrative here. So what I was saying is maybe it was that way before the sacrifice. Yes. And that's why it wasn't accepted. 100% with you on that one. Yeah. Because there's an element of faith, all right, that is this. All right? It's, it's the... It's something that in, in English we have an unfortunate problem with, which is we don't think of faithfulness and faith as the same word. We don't think that, and we should. Faith without faithfulness is, well, in James' words, dead, right? Faith without faithfulness is dead. We don't, we don't like to, to equate the two, and a lot of that has to do with our Reformation heritage. Not that Calvin and Luther would have disagreed with this, they would have very much agreed. 
But when we talk about faithfulness, we think about effort and we think about works. And if we say that, well, someone is, is not saved unless they're faithful, well, that sounds like you're earning your salvation. No. No. Obedience and faithfulness, all right? These things are inextricably linked, all right? And Abel cl- clearly had it. And Cain clearly did not. Because of one rebuke, he murdered someone. So therefore... Cain clearly had a faith issue all along. And so God rejected his sacrifice. Last half of that verse. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. What's really interesting... Okay, back up. Back from the Genesis narrative. What calls out... All right. When God is looking for Abel after Cain kills him, what is calling out? Do you remember? His blood blood is calling out. This comes up again in the next chapter, by the way. All right? Where it's the blood of Jesus speaks in a different way than the blood of Abel. All right? So the blood of Abel, even though through his faith, though he died, he still speaks, which is a very early, very interesting and... Um, very interesting way of expressing an idea about the immortality of the soul. Okay? At least that seems to me how the author of Hebrews is reading him. Let's move on. By faith, yeah. Do you mean the immorality of the immortality of the soul in general or immortality of a faithful soul? Not specific. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Okay? What does this tell us about a faithful person? What does this tell us about faith? Now, I think we would also say this very much is, is the idea behind the sacrifice of Abel, right? Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God. Enoch's life was pleasing to God. Okay. So faith pleases God. And if you do act that isn't with faith, then perhaps it, we're going to have a pleasing God problem with that. And perhaps that deed is not going to be considered fully worthy. Right? And without faith, verse 6, it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that two things. He exists, and two, He rewards those who seek Him. Okay? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. All right, and so at this point, all right, we've seen this based on Enoch, which is when we made this note, and Abel that we made this note, that righteous deeds and righteous actions, all right, are truly righteous because they are united with faith. All right. Now, I think we must recognize, and you can certainly recognize biblically, all right, that those who do not have faith can be more or less wicked. Can we not assume that? 
All right, that's, that's clearly, you see that in Scripture all over the place. People without faith can be more or less wicked. Acts can be more or less wicked. Hearts can be more or less wicked. However, true thing, things that would truly please God, even for a, if you compare a true, an extremely wicked, unrighteous person and a less wicked, unrighteous person, just because one is less wicked does not mean they are pleasing to God. Because ultimately, to please God, all right, the righteous acts, or you could just say the acts, if they're going to be righteous, must be united with faith. And for them to be united with faith, they must, one of two, two, both of two things must be true. One, they must believe that God exists. All right? If someone does something, all right, and does, it doesn't make sense for someone to do a sacrifice to God if they do not believe God exists. That doesn't make, that doesn't compute. That is nonsense. All right? But it's not just that, because I think that one's fairly obvious. And that is the other one, which is the, is the rewarder of those who seek him. So what does that say about faith? What is the nature of faith? believe something about God that he's good. So there is some content to it. Okay? Now, you focus on the good part. Alright? Why do you say that? He rewards, all right? And that is a good thing to do. All right? What does it say about the person's faith on the other side? All right? That's, that part is about God. It's a belief that God is good. And what, who is he good toward? The ones who believe he Okay. So saving faith has a number of characteristics that we've seen so far. All right. One thing is, is that it enables true understanding. All right. Do we believe that the unrighteous can understand things? Sure, obviously. But there's a certain number of things that are only revealed. All right. And you access those things through faith. Faith is what makes a sacrifice worthy. Faith is what makes your good deed that you do pleasing to God, ultimately. Faith is what does that. All right? Now, how does it relate to obedience and faithfulness? Well, Abel was obedient. All right? And Enoch was certainly obedient and faithful. He pleased God, so God took him. And there's some aspects of faith. You can't be an atheist and have faith. At least in God. Right? Because you don't believe He exists. So you must believe that He exists. And that He is good to those who seek Him. So in other words, faith has both content and action. Seeking. Alright? Another way you could say seeking is... Well, one thing it means to be seeking is to have your heart set in this direction, in obedience and faithfulness. Okay, let's continue on. Yeah, if you want to add something. The the point about must believe he exists, like, there's got to be more there than 
Because it's super obvious, right? Somebody who doesn't believe, well, yeah, they're not part of faith. Mm -hmm. But is it, because he's talking about things that people have done and the way God regarded what they did. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're making, almost like Cain, God didn't accept his sacrifice because he didn't believe God existed, really. He was offering it, potentially, Cain, but, but even if it's not Cain. Like there's thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands, millions of people throughout the, the, since Christ until now who have, quote, offered sacrifices who actually were not believers. And God has, did not receive those sacrifices. Yeah. I mean... Sacrifice is the wrong term, I guess. We're talking about Christ being the last sacrifice. But gifts, offerings, whatever, thinking that it would be pleasing to God, the thing in and of itself not being connected with faith, well, maybe that's what Hebrews are saying here. Like, you could do whatever, but if it's not connected, to, if you don't truly believe, he's not going to accept it just because you did it. It has to be connected with faith. So you don't truly believe that he is the the one God, specifically. So it's a specificity thing. What do you think? Well, well, I'm just saying, like, why do non-believers um, portray themselves as Christians and offer gifts to help poor people? For what purpose? Like they know, like sometimes they've been exposed later to be like complete charlatans and just evil people, right? Mm -hmm. But. They, they're pretending to be Christians. They're even doing things that that would be good, except for the evil nature of their hearts. Why would they do such a thing? Why why go through the charade? I don't know, but almost like they they think God will accept them because they did the thing, even though faith wasn't connected to it, or they're hoping that. I'm sure that's true for many. Some of it, maybe it's just because that's how they were brought up. Some of it could be social pressure. They do this thing and it is to be seen. And so, well, could be all sorts of reasons. Saying, I don't know. You, you can't please God unless you actually believe. It doesn't matter what thing, outward thing you did. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe, it's not going to work. You yes. Don't please Him. That's right. You look back at four two. Mm -hmm. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's talking about the gospel being preached to just the people, and and for some of them it's effectual, and some of them it's not. Mm -hmm. And at least in the KJV it says, "For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith mm -hmm. that heard it." What good works you do must be combined with faith. Yeah. If you listen to a word and it is not combined with faith, it does you no good. For sure. Even more, it should be a product of your faith. Say that again? It should be a product of your faith. What should be? Works. Yes. Good works. Absolutely. Not the other way around. 
That's a very Protestant emphasis. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the main disagreement, right? The, the Catholics wrote against the Protestant idea that faith is, or, or good works are the evidence that God is saving you, not yeah. part of the reason why he's saving you. And the Catholics said, that's craziness. That, whoever believes that is a map. Sure. And Protestants were saying the opposite, like, no, good works should be connected, but how can mm-hmm. you please God if you don't have faith? And that doesn't come from you, it comes from people. So, yeah. yeah. With you. They're still talking about it. Yeah, I only mention it because it's... Merit and not merit are... Not by merit and not by merit are the... That's the Reformation's poles of polar opposites, not the New Testament's. Uh, even though here, nothing is meritorious without being united with faith. But that's, a, that's, that's one group's emphasis, or one time period's emphasis, but not necessarily the New Testament's. Verse 7, By faith, Noah, being warned by God, concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. But this he condemned, excuse me, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I think there's a number of things in here that are very interesting. All right? Okay, so what does faith have to do with knowledge here in this verse? Let's start with that. Seems to be the case, yeah. And so God warns him, this is coming. Well, I've never seen that. Mm-hmm. But somehow he believes God, even in the absence of full knowledge of, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, because I've seen a lot of rain. Faith here, right, makes the, the knowledge actionable, all right? Mm-hmm. If someone tells you something is true, all right, it must be united by faith, all right? If, if Bill tells us something in a sermon, all right, it is not good enough for us to hear that thing, assuming he's right, all right, that thing must be united by faith for us to do us any good. All right, Noah could have been warned by God and then gone, nay, right? But he didn't, all right? By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark, Okay? And so we can say there's an aspect of, you could say reverent fear. I don't think the fear so much is the important part. It's the, it's the reverence. It goes back to, to this whole thing right here of, sure, he, I mean, he was afraid, I'm sure. God said, I'm going to destroy things, and that would bring fear. The most important part is the reverent aspect of this right here. By faith, Noah being warned, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Please. If you've worked in an industrial building, then they do these fire drills, 
and it's a big, big pain. You have to go to every office and make sure that people actually exited the building and that somebody counted them off and that they fulfilled the drill. And the city of Dallas comes and signs off that you actually did it. And it's a fear. I mean, I was a floor warden one time, and it's a big problem because people are conducting business, and then the fire alarm goes off, and it's a drill. You tell them, you got to get out. Like, I'm on a call. Like, I don't care. You have to get out. Yeah. But if they really believe the building was on fire, there's not a problem getting them out. If they believe that, um, it's just they know it's not, really. Yeah. So it's a drill. And God told us, no, uh, it's going to flood. Nobody's ever seen a flood. And he's like, okay. He took it seriously like it wasn't just a false alarm or a training. He took it seriously as in, I must do this. All right? Agreed. Do, do, don't we use that faithfulness and fear like when we say somebody's a God fearer? We mean he's a faithful mm-hmm. person, right? I mean, yes, he does fear God, but he Yeah. He doesn't want to displease God. So God fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? That's not a way of saying being frightened by God is the beginning of knowledge. There's truth in that. Yeah. You should be frightened of God, potentially. Um, Yeah. So here in fear, all right, he does this. And by doing this, he condemns the world. What does that mean? apply this more broadly. What does this mean about faith? Does this, does this apply broadly? It is going to make you a weirdo. It's true. Do you think of whenever you choose not to do something that others would do publicly that you're condemning them? Often, yeah. Do you feel that way though? the question I don't think it's talking about Noah's feelings whenever you by faith choose not to live by the world you condemn it that may not be your attitude you may not be hating them while you do that all right, or sitting there going wow you're so wicked all right though you might be and you might be right in that sometimes if you are truly righteously rejecting evil, then you are in your mind going, that's wrong. Anytime you say, I'm not going to do that because that is wrong, you are, by necessity, condemning that action, right? That you are doing that. Anytime you say, you do this, I will not do this because I'm a Christian, you are implicitly condemning them. All right? Right? Yes. And I mean, am I wrong on that? And I don't mean about your, you know, 
being mean or anything. You are about to say something, Jennifer. Um, it might be a dumb question for everyone who knows English, but um, what is the difference Yes. I mean, I think the latter is there, right? I mean, any, when you say, if you say, I'm not going to do X because X is wrong, all right? How can you say that, say those words, without condemning them? Because you don't feel like I'm in a position to say, you deserve judgment and you're going to get it. And okay. Some of yeah, sorry, go ahead, please. Don't you think some of it is that you're, you're, you're preaching, to, I mean, it's just like... The word preaching the word condemns people because they hear the truth right. and they reject it. So it's not that we're condemning it, condemning them. It's that now you've seen the truth. Someone has proclaimed it to you, or they've lived it out to you, and so you have no excuse. You're condemned. Not that we're saying what you're doing is wrong and you're going to hell. We're not. We may not ever say that or even think it. Mm-hmm. But what we're living and showing to them is truth, and so the truth is condemning them. They, they cannot deny that they saw it, heard it, whatever it is, because we were there. We spoke out. We acted out. We showed, we showed the truth. Mm-hmm. If you Google it, it says express complete disapproval of, but then it also says sentence someone to a particular punishment. I mean, the New Testament talks about preaching as an aroma of life to those who are being saved and an aroma of death to those who don't so, but, but that's more explicit than that. like, I'm telling you about the Savior versus Noah saying, God told me to do something, I'm doing it. And that's going to condemn the, you. But because he did do it, he was saying that God is God. And you don't believe God is God because you're mm-hmm. not doing it. I, I think from Jennifer's point, those that are these together, I think they're connected but not the same thing. And, then, and that is people saying, well, you hate homosexuals. I'm like, I do not. But I'm not going to do that. And I don't think you should either because it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, you're condemning them. I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I will tell you, God is going to judge that. And I don't have to even say that. It's just implied in, well, why are you doing it? Because God says it's wrong. And, and so he's the one that's going to condemn. You know what I mean? I don't. And so the, I think they're, they're like woven together. They're intimately connected. And they'll try to put that on you. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're, you would, if you could, you would kill me. I'm like, no, I have no desire. I'm just not going to do that. And if you ask me what I believe, I believe it's wrong. I'm not going to go start a fight. So it's let, let, let's distinguish, right, between having a disagreement and saying that something is wrong. As I might be helpful, right? Yeah. Um, somebody might say it is unhealthy to eat red meat. Right? I'm going to go. I disagree. Right? But I'm also not condemning them. Right? Yeah, that goes back to this discussion we had about conscience. Like, there might be some things that we can 
come to say, I, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. But it's not necessarily sin for you, but I can't do it with a clear mm -hmm. conscience. That's not what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about things that it's not gray, it's, it's black and white. Right. And when we do the white thing, it, it condemns or it at least sends that message. Yeah. In a in a pluralist in a truly pluralistic worldview, all right, a non inconsistent pluralistic worldview, which won't exist, but let's just pretend that it would exist. You will sometimes see this, all right, whenever people will talk. How do you have an opinion and say something's wrong without condemning someone? Well, what you do is you just remove any sort of individual foundation, all right? Where you would say, This is this is what I want to do, and this is what's right for me, all right? And what you're doing, well, maybe that's right for you, all right? That's a way of disagreeing without condemning. That's not, that's not God's approach to things, right? Whenever we say, anytime we say, let's continue with the homosexuality example. Someone saying, this is the way I feel, all right? This is the way I feel. This is what I want to do. Anytime we say... Not, well, that's, you do you, but I'm just not going to do that. Anytime we say, that is wrong. That is morally wrong. It is, by necessity, you're condemning. You're saying, because saying, you know, that's not my preference, isn't condemning. Because it implies nothing like you're going to be punished for eating that cauliflower steak. Because you don't want to eat any... I saw it on a menu on Friday. Cauliflower steak. All right? You won't be condemned. You won't be punished for that. It's a disagreement. I don't want to eat it. But anytime you say, that thing is wrong, you're, when you do that, you're making, you're making a statement that there is a judge. And there is right and wrong. And you are, by necessity, I think, condemning that condemning that person, right? And they're often going to see it that way. And that's ultimately, I think, the attitude we have to have as Christians. Not a condemning attitude of, all right, I'm just going to you know, go around and just tell everybody they're wrong all the time. Not that, all right? Somebody who's condemning all the time. That's the idea that we got. But it's inherent anytime. You say, God says to do this, we're going to do this. God says not to do this, we're not going to do that. Anytime you say that, which Noah said, you ultimately are condemning the other. And I think, as a matter of faith, we have to be willing to be okay with that. Because we do actually believe that a God exists, and He is a rewarder of those who seek Him, to use these words from Hebrews. Yeah. I mean, there is ways to be gentle, but yeah. what's the best way to approach the homosexuality argument in a way and saying, talking to a friend, hey, I don't agree with this. Is there a way to soften my, speak truth softly in a way? I think you, you did it. You're going to, I don't believe this is right. I think that's what, that's what you did. I don't believe this is right. I'm a Christian, and Christianity teaches that homosexuality is wrong. Because 
it's not your fault. It's their fault for the way they react, whether that's negatively with a pay. Sure. So you they, can't control it. I mean, I think that's very much the best way. If you're a preacher, I blame stuff on Paul all the time. <laughs> I, I did not. I didn't write this, but it is in the Bible. And then I think you're continuing actions toward that person. If they're continuing to be gentle while you say, I don't agree with you, that communicates that too. And again, you're not responsible for their reaction, but you are responsible for how you continue to treat them. Mm -hmm. So I think that goes hand in hand. Another interesting thing I've ran into in situations like that is talking with someone and talk with them about sin mm-hmm. or just them saying they approve of something and then you say you don't approve of the act of it of the act of homosexuality for example and then they in some degree define themselves either by the belief or the act of it and then get offended by it mm-hmm. because you would say no I don't I don't like you is there any way around that or is that just something not, that we can't we can't take responsibility for it is, it is normal when people are doing things to... It's human nature to identify with the things that you do. I'm a heterosexual. I identify as a heterosexual. If someone were to come to me and say, heterosexuality is wrong, all right, I would ask obvious things like, then how is this species going to survive? <laughs> but also, I could take offense at that. Should I take offense at that? No, I don't think I'd take offense at that. I would just go, no. Um, But it's very normal for if you are really deep into a sin to identify with that as a part of who you are. Are they going to get emotional when you tell them that that's wrong? It's sure. That's, That's normal. You can't control that. I think that's part of what we're saying. Christian gives their position without saying, without being harsh. Yeah. And they receive it as condemnation. It's because it is. Yes. Even though you're not intending to to have that interaction yes. with them. You know, we've all heard this. You Christians think you're better than everybody else. But we actually don't. We're actually humble and and can't believe that God has Hopefully. mercy on us. But, yeah. but when they, yeah. without even preaching, just seeing like, you know, Christians aren't going to do this or that, they feel the judgment. But it's not coming from them. It's because their actions are wrong. Like they hate the light and want to criticize the light. Because it exposes. Yes. And they attack because they want to defend themselves. Which is extremely natural. Yeah. I think this has been like the case since the beginning of Christianity. Jonathan in First Peter chapter two, he talks about this. If if you're judged, somebody gets angry with you because you are observing your conscience towards God, that actually pleases God. And it, it's not pleasing to God if somebody's angry at you because you're a because of something that you did in your flesh. But if you're standing up for truth and people are angered with you, that pleases God. Um, for it's the will of God that with doing well, you'll put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
So we'll stop there today. I want you to think about that this week. All right. Anytime you say something is wrong, you are by nature condemning those who do that thing. And that's a nature of faith. All right. I think that's one thing that's that the author of Hebrews is trying to say here. But that's not all there is about it. We'll continue in the list and see how he, he builds on this as we go forward. Okay. Uh, Jeannie, will you please pray for us?